Welcome to another episode of Redesign Your Life. We've been in lockdown for three weeks now. We're all working from home in Sydney, and many people like you around the world will be doing the same. It's a particularly weird time and uh, quite scary, uh, quite daunting, and a lot of uncertainty around what is going to be happening in the future and how long this will be going on for. I know a lot of people are also busily kind of rethinking their lives and redesigning their lives, their personal lives, or their businesses, and and utilizing this time uh, for good use and um, the kind of quiet time, the downtime. Um, other people are just hoping that's going to get back to normal in a, in a very short period of time. I'm not sure. Um, but I am with my business busily working on projects as well as just rethinking what we might be in the next six months to a year. So let's get on with the show. Sarah Wilson is a former journalist and TV presenter, author and activist. She wrote the New York Times bestseller, I Quit Sugar, and another book called First We Make the Beast Beautiful. She now builds and enables charity projects that engage humans with each other and campaigns on mental health and climate issues. Sarah lives minimally, rides a hand-built bike, and is known for traveling the world for eight years with one bag. Sarah's latest book, This One Wild and Precious Life, is a soul's journey through the complexities of climate change, our disconnection, political fragmentation, back to life. Hello. Good morning, Sarah. How are you doing? Oh, good day. Good, good. Yeah, cool. So, where where is your head at in all this? Oh, oh gosh. Um, well, it's a funny thing, Vince, because um, I've had sort of anxiety most of my life and quite crippling and severe anxiety where I haven't been able to function as a normal human being for sort of years at a time, but it's a very interesting um, quirk of the anxious experience that quite often when there's a real crisis, an incredible calm comes over. So for me, um, and Vince, you know, we've spoken about this before, you know, I've got um, bipolar and um, it's, it's, I don't know if your listeners are interested, but um, how about I share it anyway? Um, There's been a number of experiments and um, that show that, and it's kind of relevant to your listeners because um, a large number of creatives um, have bipolar, including scientists but also world leaders. So 70% of poets and 70% of um, scientists in the past, um, you know, had bipolar. So we're talking Beethoven through to Charles Darwin, um, Tesla, you know, there's all kinds of um, examples. But mm. there's a theory that... It exists as an evolutionary quirk in around about 1.2 to 1.4% of a population anywhere in the world and throughout history. And it exists basically as a sort of to have a proportion of the population who are on high alert, so super sensitive, super acute um, sound, sight, taste, smell receptors, awareness of what's happening to the collective, and therefore as a result, creativity often comes out of that because you're in touch with that kind of essence. But, yeah, um, yeah in times like this, it's actually um, when when some of us come to our fore. So there's a scientist, um, Diane Fozzi, or Fozzi, um, in the 1960s, she did a bunch of experiments on chimps and she identified the chimps that displayed kind of what you'd now call OCD behaviour. They sat on the outside of the group. They had no mates. Um, they were particularly neurotic. They stayed awake all night, listened mm. to sounds, 
being quite jumpy. Um, Sounds like out me. Is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. <laughs> exactly. Um, and she removed those. This is back when you could do these kinds of experiments on chimps. She removed those chimps from the clan and um, or tribe or whatever you call it. And uh, essentially this tribe died out within six months. And she did a number, you know, repeated the experiment a number of times. And each time it was maximum six months the tribe could survive without these kind of highly sensitive, anxious wow. types. Um, and I, I always have found deep comfort in that because I'm like, right, humanity wouldn't survive without people like us. It's given me this kind of meta purpose, which yeah. is my A-type personality. But yeah. um, So it does mean that in times of crisis, um, sort of the, the creatives, the sensitives, they come to the fore. So Winston Churchill, well, look, you go back through history, Every major um, wartime leader or crisis leader, not every, but a large proportion were bipolar. Mm. Um, and probably Winston Churchill's the prime example. And it was his ability to stand back from the, the fray and the panic and the overwhelm and to kind of view things from a much broader perspective. And, you know, there's been multiple movies and so on made about how he sort of operated. He's also a nightmare, but... <laughs> um, in terms of being able to lead a country, um, you know, he had incredible abilities. So um, I sort of say all of that to explain why, for me, I it's a different experience. Um, I'm I'm quite calm. I'm quite resolute, and I was like this in some ways in the climate when the climate crisis was really accelerating with the bushfires mm. over summer. Um, and I've been in this space for quite a long time, campaigning and agitating and so on. Um, and a number of people in the climate movement do have severe anxiety. And Greta Thunberg is a prime example. I think she's been interviewed and or criticised that, you know, somebody with a mental disorder, she's got OCD and she's got self-harming issues and um, Asperger's. Asperger's. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, I actually think that, um, you know, she's come out and actually defended herself, the poor thing. I don't know why somebody has to. But she said that, you know, before the climate crisis and before she got involved, she was at home, unable to literally speak for over a year, um, unable to go to school. She was a bit of a mess. Mm. And when the climate crisis came about, she basically came into her moment, into wow. her space. Um and this is what happens for some of us. Not everyone. I know that there's some people really suffering and, and there's a lot of triggering going on. But um, I, th I think it is worth having this kind of discussion that, you know, actually, you know, normally you're really anxious, but at the moment you might be feeling calm and, you know, some listeners out there might be going, oh, God, I'm just waiting for it all to collapse in a heap like it always does. Well, it might not mm. because this is it's in such times in history um, you know, those of us with this kind of evolutionary quirk where we, we come into our moment. Yeah, absolutely. And we look, we're basically looking out for the rest of the pack, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And also um, what's required at the as we come out of all of this is innovation. Mm. So we are, um, as you know, I've just finished writing my latest book, but it um, – had to be, we've held it off from going to the printers because I'm going to have to do a fairly heavy rewrite with sort of COVID stuff in there. Mm -hmm. But um, one of, you know, one of the things that I kind of investigated was our 
um, tolerance to ambiguity, our ability to create, and Australia in particular, but much of the Western world, is at its least innovative in recorded history. So we have become a very tame, very um, uncreative um, culture. And there's a whole range of reasons for that, predominantly in and around the neoliberal model and the way that we sort of, oh, look, that's for another discussion. Mm -hmm. But um, what, it, what it means is that when we, We've had a jolt and we are going to have to get radically innovative. So from this point forward, to be honest, um, very different. I mean, look at the medical industry trying to solve things. There's people coming up with the weirdest ways to create makeshift face masks. Yeah. No one ever thought this would be happening in 2020, right? Oh. This is like craft projects happening <laughs> out there. But, um, you know, and in terms of a vir uh, vaccine and so on, people are doing all kinds of weird stuff. And we haven't seen that kind of throw everything at it, get crazy, get loose, that kind of mentality for a long time, or at least I haven't. And I crave creativity and, the, and creative madness. Um, so I think for creatives, it is a great time to kind of really get kind of solid in your skill set and also your neurotics because, yeah. you know, it, it can become a superpower right now. I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm on the spectrum like a lot of creatives are as well. Uh, and my son has mm. Asperger's too. And I just, I can totally relate to what you're talking about. Um, sometimes yeah. I've, been, I've been frustrated with, you know, myself in the past regarding that, kind of sitting on the outside, listening and not necessarily partaking in things. Um, but I've also just been very um, focused on problem solving. I like, like what you said in terms of, you know, when you see a problem or you see this disruption is actually... Um, you kind of kick straight into gear of you know how can I yeah. solve how can I solve this what can I do um, I guess for me personally it's been you know each week we've been at home now for probably like I don't know two and a half weeks now working from home mm -hmm. the adjustment to that has been um, you know pretty you know up and down like one day you feel great about it and you feel optimistic another day you just feel really like oh my god this is horrific mm -hmm. um, how long will it be and key thing that keeps coming up for me is just like okay, where do I put my energy? You know, where do... My team's busily working on projects, um, which is great. Um, we've, yeah. said we've had a, a little bit of a slowdown. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, some other people had a, a major slowdown in their, in their uh, businesses and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm sitting here um, in my kind of makeshift, a new studio at home um, with snoring dogs and, um, you know, my kids doing online learning <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of very real. Um, very kind of cool mm. as well, but it's just that there's a, there's an element of okay, I've got to I've got to do stuff, and and I know you're big on getting in and doing things, and you know you're a big campaigner, uh, etc. And you write you know numerous books, and you're speaking everywhere. Um, you're totally active all the time, but does there come a point where you are going, oh my god, I don't know what to do? Is there is there a period of like you know reflection or? Mm. Because that's where I'm kind of keep dropping into going, like not not self pity, yeah. well, the big, but just not the knowing. Big, yeah, it's a really valid response, um, and you know what you just said then is absolutely key. Not knowing, and the best thing that, and this is what I'm I'm doing a few Instagram lives at the moment every couple of weeks that you yeah, can see on my that. Instagram site. 
Um, and um, one of the things that keeps coming up is that not knowing. And it's actually a chapter in my book about getting cool with not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have lived in a culture where um, we don't even have to kind of wonder when our pizza is going to arrive with Uber Eats because we can actually watch it (laughs) as it travels across the suburb, you know. Um, There's no waiting. There's no wondering. We can avoid any kind of confrontation. Like if you are dating someone and you get a text and you just don't want to, you know, you can pretend you haven't seen it. Anything awkward. We have become so sheltered from ambiguity, uncertainty, not knowing. Mm. You know, I mean, we don't even have to You know, I remember growing up and, you know, things I think you and I are not far off in terms of age. Oh, God, you're much younger. It was well before, yeah, well, it was, it was, (laughs) um, it was, um, you know, sometime around the ice age. But um, (laughs) we, you know, somebody asked us something. I mean, you know, we'd ask our parents things and they just have to say, I don't know. And there's no Google or there's, you know, you go to the World Book Encyclopedia. We had, um, we lived in the country and the poor guy that would go door to door selling these things came to us and you had they'd leave one with you. Oh, we yeah. had pee. We had the world big encyclopedia <laughs> for pee. So me and my five my four brothers and my sister, every project we did for the next ten years, um, <laughs> the topic always had to begin with P. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think mum and dad have still got it. It's kind of oh, hilarious. Funny. We're experts on anything beginning with P. But um yeah, there was, you know, I did you know, I did half a law degree with no computer and you had to go and look books up on the Dewey system, all that kind of thing. Mm. But we had to be okay with not knowing. We didn't know if we'd make plans to meet up with somebody in a school holidays on the second Tuesday at 4 o'clock under the, at the bus interchange or whatever. There was a good chance the person didn't turn up. We just didn't know. Now, there's two sides to that. We had to actually be more certain and more committed and, and less flaky humans, which mm-hmm. – I really miss about humanity. I'm just, the flakiness has driven me mad for years. Mm. But secondly, we just had to be cool and less self-righteous and less anxious about the fact that life is an uncertainty. We don't know where we came from. We don't know where we go. We don't know how long we've got. And right now, all of that is coming to the fore. So people who have not got resilience to uncertainty, who haven't built up that muscle, haven't trained their doubt, and there's a really beautiful, real key quote about doubt can become a beautiful thing if you train it. And um, that's something that I keep in the back of my mind. I've spent many years getting cool with uncertainty because I'm a gripper. I'm an A-type. I'm a, you know, 100 miles an hour, bullet a gate type of person. I want everything to happen now. Yep. And, um, you know, it, it life comes and slaps me in the face every time I get too extreme with that. So um, I have a really lovely phrase my meditation teacher shares with me very often. <laughs> he says, Sarah, get your filthy hands off, off whatever it is. Get your filthy mitts off it. And it's releasing your grip. So the best bit of advice I can give to that is life is uncertain and right now it's more uncertain than ever Mm. and it's absolutely fair enough that we're struggling with it because we have lost that skill set. We have not trained it. And so there's got to be some forgiveness and understanding and I do believe that once you start to understand why certain things happen in a certain way, you can then actually traverse it. Um, so anyone who's out there at home, used to working in an office environment where you're kind of guided with meetings and mm. various things to tell you what you're going to do next, 
accept and acknowledge that this is a real adjustment, but it's not a bad adjustment. And you can get a bit kamikaze with it, which I'm sort of doing. I have trained myself to embrace uncertainty to the extent where I'm actually going game on. Let's see what the hell comes out of all of this. Mm. And that's true creativity. We've got to remind ourselves that creativity is going into the unknown, into the darkness and bringing light. And um, that is almost the role of a creative right now. Like this is, there's no boundaries anymore. Like we're going back to where we were, you know, um, in previous eras where truly crazy stuff came about. Mm. Um, There wasn't emulation or, you know, I think there is a sense out there in the creative world sometimes that there are no new ideas, that everybody's just sort of doing a slight 5% tweak on something and spitting it out. And because we've all been in a rush as well, like we've not done considered reflective creation for quite a long time. That's my sense. That's... Um, that's really important. Mm. That, that reflection um, is really important, I think, because I think I've noticed this the last few weeks just being at home. I've been far more focused on the things that I would normally just kind of be pushing through quickly or or giving to other people to do, you know. I've just been head down and kind of yeah. um, getting on with it. And actually, it's, it's actually far Sitting more... Sitting in it. Yeah, it's quicker, actually. It's quicker yeah. and more enjoyable as a result of that. I guess for um, a lot of creatives, too, is that we often start with a brief and... Um, I talk about that in my book, um, Design Your Life, just around when, when a designer hasn't got a brief, um, when it's up to them to kind of work out what the brief is, that's when quite a few people yeah. get a bit kind of like blinded by that. And, yeah. and, and, it's, and, and I think what it's important to do is to sit with it, live with it, the situation, and uh, listen and kind of start to feel um, where, the, you know, get kind of yep. bigger insights to kind of work out what to do, um, where, where can you possibly yeah. put your energy? Because I'm in that spot right now where I'm going, where, where, as I said before, where do I put my energy, my focus? Because once you've got that, it just turns on really quickly. Um, I guess I have a bit of a, I have a, bit of a lull <laughs> in between um, a situation um, opening up and actually coming up with a, with a solution. Um, some, people yeah. have, some people have shorter ones. It sounds like you have a, you're, you're much quicker with... Well, yes, I can see an opportunity and my mania can make me just, you know, rush at it and terrify everybody kind of along the way. Um, but then um, when I'm actually doing my writing, it's quite a different process. It's, and, and I suppose speak, kind of touching, maybe picking up on what I think you're alluding to here, in terms of what are some techniques to get people okay with that nebulousness of not necessarily in a brief and swirling around in that abyss between mm. even a, a brief and a result. When you're in an office environment, quite often you've got touch points and you've got deadlines and it's sort of the parameters are narrowed and you're rendered a little bit choiceless. That's true. Um so with this, one thing that I've always done is, and it's a chapter in my next book, but I also cover it off in my book on anxiety, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, which covers off a lot of this creative thinking, tapping into your anxiety and using it as a way to really get more creative. But one of the things that I've always, that's always worked for me is I study, like I soul, I call it, I call it soul nerding. I study the works of amazing minds who have had to do this before. So in the case of, say, people working in the graphics industry, I think there'd probably be a lot to be gained from reading about maybe more creative artists, as in the looser 
painters and, mm. the you know, mm-hmm. because being familiar with um, sort of even the language they use to describe it or understanding their life story and seeing where all the dots lined up, mm. um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for um, studying the works of people like us and knowing, A, that we're not alone in the, the, the fear and the anxiety and that sort of um, learn, uh, that sort of suspended stomach feeling that we get when we're in the unknown, mm-hmm. but that other people had ways we can learn from the ways that they navigated that. And look, some of your listeners might already follow this um, newsletter. It's a really old school just newsletter that comes into your inbox, um, Brain Pickings. Um, with Maria Popova. She's this brilliant mind. I think she came from Bulgaria when she was in her teens. She had to learn English and she can just devour, you know, the beautiful works of some of the best philosophers in the world, um, both contemporary and and from the past, philosophers, artists, creatives, and she just gives really beautiful perspectives, poets. So um, that's a really great source for anyone who wants a nice top-line overview of some of these things or a curated rundown. Mm. Um, it's, I think it's brainpickings.org or .net. I can't remember. It's like super clunky and old school. I'm sure your designers will just want to grab it and redesign it. But <laughs> um, the, con- the good content is there. Um, so that's one thing that I do um, for that twofold effect. Um, but another thing is to see this as almost a calling. Like I say, times I'm not going to get more certain. Um, and it's funny, when I was writing this book well before the coronavirus, um, I was talking about this in, this in the in the context of the climate movement. And, look, we're going to come out of COVID. I suspect we'll have more viruses and pandemics that will come our way over coming decades. And... Um, it, all of this will feed into where we're at with the issues that intertwine with the climate crisis. The climate crisis is the bigger concern. Mm. Um, however, COVID has come along and put it right in front of our faces. Um, there's a disconnect for people, and I think you and I have talked about this, Vince, between, you know, using a takeaway coffee cup and seeing the bushfires. We kind of, it's like cognitive dissonance. We can't yeah. kind of make that leap. Oh, yeah. this leads to that. Yeah. But Mother Nature, um, in her perfection, has brought the cycling very close to us um, and, um, you know, just had to. Basically, um, the state of the world, the way that we were being very belligerent about our respect for how nature works, how populations can control themselves and everything, meant that a pandemic was foreshadowed uh, a good 10 years ago. Um, in fact, it's it's been on the cards for a very long time. People have known it's about to arrive, mm-hmm. and especially after SARS and Ebola, they knew that something way bigger, way more global was going to strike, and, um, yeah, here we are. So um, I I think that this, this is not as pervasive. It'll be ongoing, and it's acute at the moment, and it's getting us to wake up to some of these principles that we need to come back to to life and to that considered thinking, as you said, um, to being more still, not just growth, 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 not just producing another design for the sake of another design. Like um, we will, we want to be more considered. This is, I think a lot of people are feeling this is a wake-up call that we have been, I mean, this is a 
pause button, a massive pause button. It is. And, um, you know, I just think it's time for creatives to see it that way, even if they're in pain. Like do the pain and get on with it as well. Mm-hmm. Be in fear and create and use it as a sort of a rally call that the world is going to need truly generous, kind, considered, reflective creation. Mm-hmm. Um, so unlike, I don't know, bankers or, I don't know, you know, that, that sort of big um, capitalism type industry stuff, yep. um, the creatives, the poets, the prophets, we're the ones that the world's going to need going forward, along with teachers, health workers, and all of those very fundamental old-school communal um, professions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't know if you asked me a question. I think I just rambled there. (laughs) No, it's fabulous, though. Um, It's all absolutely relevant, of course. Um, I think that uh, I've said many times to designers is, is that they have a responsibility to start now with with a project they're working on right this very moment, you know, for a client, et cetera, um, to start mm. making the right decisions around, you know, the materiality of that, What you know, making sure that it's actually something that is adding value to the world, um, that it is s- sustainable, et cetera. It's not necessarily just waiting for some time in the future. Just do it now. If, uh. all, if all the designers in the world had that approach right this very moment, it would change things massively. Because I think that... Most designers, and I'm just such a generalization. Yeah, um, good shit will happen. Yeah, yeah, they're very focused. I mean, that they mm. they can they can do it, but they're often just focused on what the client wants, um, what the client needs, etc. Um, maybe even on just making their own portfolio look great. They might be doing it for themselves versus doing it for the better of uh, mankind, you know, humankind, um, etc. So, just yeah. kind of rally the troops and every designer in the world to be focusing on you know, doing it now with the very project you have in your hands, no matter how large, how small, uh, start making those very considered considered choices. Pima Chodron has a really great phrase. She says, um, start where you are. If you are a mum at home with kids screaming around the place, if you are a single person living in your house alone, if you're a designer who's about to... I don't know, update their portfolio or whatever, mm-hmm. start where you are and be of service. Mm-hmm. And the be of service line, we haven't heard that for a very long time because it's all been about individualism yeah. and we're all just like little economic units running around trying to survive. Um, this is a time to go, I'm actually fed up with myself and looking after <laughs> myself. Yeah. I want to go broader. Um and you and I have talked about ways that that can happen. It's not about starting up a new movement. It's not about starting up a new charity. In fact, quite the opposite because I think what people who are in the service industry, and I consider graphic designers to be yep. in the service industry in this context along with tech, you know, website builders, et cetera, I'm having a lot of conversations with people in these, in these realms and they're like, well, I'm going to start up with this group. And I'm like, no, no, no. There are people that have been doing this for 10, 15 years. They've got a really good understanding of what's required. Go and be of service to them, you know. Go and offer them design work. Go and design their app. Go and um, leverage the good work that's already out there. This is not a time to have your ego on display. Yeah, yeah. Um, I totally agree with that. And I think people, creatives should be of service, not, you know, the heroes necessarily. Mm. No, I totally agree with that. That comes up often, actually. Clients come in, and we, we've done, you know, we helped Oz Harvest with their brand and their 
uh, Ronnie Khan with all her all their work and reports and the you know the van designs and things like that. So we've had we've been on that journey for quite a while with her and um, and her team. And it's interesting how many people have been knocking on our doors who want to start a, a food rescue service. And each time that happens, I just go, "Why do you want to do this? <laughs> you know, why do you want to create another one? It's going to compete yeah. compete with." Um, Oz Harvest, why don't you just put your energy and focus and, yeah. and go to Ronnie and say, how, 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 how might I be part of this? How can I help? Um, but they're just often or even, just yeah, they, they want to do their own it's, thing. It's like, yeah, and they're not the best equipped for it. I don't think graphic designers are necessarily the greatest um, people at getting scrap food and redistributing it. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, um, and it's sort of um, – you know, it just takes a little bit of research and asking questions. It's a very humble way of going about things. I had to sit down with a whole heap of tech leaders who had, you know, brought me in and we had a whiteboard. This was just before Corona hit. And, um, you know, right, we're going to do this. And I was like, well, hang on. Um, have you actually asked what's going to make a difference? Because that sort of approach is from about 20 years ago. Like <laughs> what we actually need is this. And, and they admitted it by the end of it that they had no idea, right, and they didn't even know about the politics. They were out of their depth, and I said, all right, well, you need to just start asking questions. You need to ask the people who are in this movement what needs to be done. And, um, and look, I think, you know, creatives who work to a brief, you're used to asking questions, mm. you know. You get a brief, you work out what the client really needs, I suppose the the state of the planet um, needs to be seen as a client. Ask the client what needs to be done. Don't go off. Yeah, you'll fail your job and never get another gig if you just go off and make it up based on your limited understanding of the business they represent. Um, So... It's um, it's it's a humble thing because everybody wants to be the face of X Y Z charity. Trust me, you don't. <laughs> um, you want to, you don't want to be the person driving this stuff because it's relentless. It yes, is huge. tiring. It's you cop abuse. You are hauled over the coals. You must know your science. You must know it like a obsessive. Um, because you will not survive in the space. Ditto with any kind of charity. You must know the nuances. So why not see it as a really great opportunity to learn this stuff by tacking on to someone who's doing great stuff and and just being of service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and often um, I've seen over the years, you know, judging design competitions and things like that um, around the world, and you often see... I, I, I feel like when I've seen it, uh, other advertising agencies or other creative organizations uh, doing it, helping another organization like a charity, is that they often have the kind of, I'm, I'm mm. going to win it, I'm doing this to win an award, um, you know, design award versus uh, actually truly benefiting from, you know, the, the organization benefiting from that. And I've heard, again, time and time again, organizations, yeah. charities saying to me, you know what, they did this and we feel so obligated to use it, but really it's not, it's not effective. It's not what we need, but we have to use it because they did it for free um, and they're highly convincing and all this kind of stuff. And I just want to, yeah. again, say designers, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Make sure you're adding value and that you're, you're, you're not doing it for your own ego. You're not doing it for your own um, satisfaction, but you're actually truly you know, embracing this as you would with any other mm. client and, and coming up with ideas and solutions that are of value uh, and that are useful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And um, I think there is a real need for designers and, and um, I mean, I know that with my work, um, you know, I've had to sort of scale back because I give sort of the majority of my income to charity nowadays. So I only have so much to work with and I kind of, you know, do very rudimentary design stuff to kind of just get a tile out there or whatever it might be. It's um, I get to a point where I know what the comms need to be. I've got my audience, I've got my message, and it's just, you know, being able to sort of have that expertise, it's really tricky. And so there are a lot of people like me out there who who need some work um, or, you know, who need some help. And, um, you know, when I have worked with different people, it's wonderful because I learn, they learn, you know, it's a, it's quite a new experience. So, yeah. And I think that, look, the other thing I'd say, just going back to your original question about sort of anxiety and coping with it at the moment and the uncertainty and so on, one of the things I found in researching my book um, was that when you are when you are actually acting when you get engaged whether it's in a bit of activism extinction rebellion and the climate movement whether it's helping feed you know the homeless um, if you're upset about something as soon as you step forward and just do a small thing that helps it's actually one of the best selves for anxiety and they've shown that the other thing is action begets action. So once you start and you get involved in a few things, um, you actually ward off what's one of the most dangerous things at the moment and and that is overwhelm and shutdown that happens. So we have fight or flight when there's a crisis, but there's also the freeze mechanism that kicks in when we get too overwhelmed. And people in the creative sphere, you can't afford to go into that freeze mode. And we all know it, right, mm. where just things get too much and you wake up and you can barely move. Yeah, yeah. You can barely brush your teeth. Yeah. It's just you, you literally glued to the spot. And that is a mechanism in our brain that happens so that we don't get emotionally overwhelmed. And in the animal kingdom, if a deer was being chased by a tiger, it would play, it would freeze if it couldn't outrun the tiger and play dead. And it gave the tiger, the deer the best chance of survival because the tiger would go, oh, it's dead. Look, I'm just going to, you know, wander off and get my cubs and come back in half an hour and eat it, <laughs> in which time the, the deer can jerk back into gear and flee. Now, the freeze mechanism is about that. It freezes us for a brief period of time so that we can regroup, refocus, and then fight or flight in again. So with um, where we're at at the moment, we need to actually have an outlet. The equivalent of, you know, jerking back to life and running for our lives is to do something, to be engaged. If we don't have that outlet, we will get overwhelmed and we'll stay in the freezed state. Um, so my advice is if you start to kind of shut down or even before you do, I don't know, find a way. It doesn't have to be complicated. Keep it super small. Start where you are um, and just help someone. And it even doesn't have to be in the, in the graphics area. It might be something else. But yeah. that in itself is a creative process and something might come out of it. Don't worry about the outcome. Just get engaged and start, 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 you know. I wonder how, how do you tackle that because, you know, you talk about shutdown and we're, we're literally in a shutdown, a, lock, yeah. a lockdown. So, um, you know, with all of us, we're used to roaming the world, uh, going outside, uh, doing, yeah. doing whatever we want. And um, right now we're in this, I, I definitely feel this restriction which isn't helpful. Um, it's not yeah. a great. It's not a great feeling. 
and it's certainly not a great feeling for connecting with people when you actually got to do it you know not in the human you know face to face be doing it through digital or you're doing it from phones and things like that yeah how do you kind of i guess I do how do you navigate that I yeah well i think um again it comes back to not being particularly ambitious um, small, small, small okay. movements at the moment are best. So even it can be down to you're scrolling through Instagram. One of the best things you can do, by the way, is unfollow anything that feels toxic. When I'm at the moment, when I'm scrolling through anything and I find myself getting that cringe, itch feeling, mm-hmm. I unfollow them. So we need to kind of keep our feeds clean. When you come across someone and you go, God, that's a good thing and it lights up your heart, mm-hmm. start by making a comment, start by sharing it, do a repost of it. Be engaged in the right conversation, start spreading good messages. So that's a really simple way. Um, You might even see someone who's doing great work, activist work, and their feeds as ugly as all hell. You might reach out to them and go, hey, listen, I'd be really happy, you know, to do some of these things up its tiles for you once a week, you know. And it may or may not get more traction, but you're engaged in good shit and then you start to see more and more opportunities. So start small. Um, unless you've got a very good grip of all the political, social, emotional issues, which nobody can expect to have unless they've worked in this area a long time, tack on to someone who just brings charm into your life, who you go, they're doing good stuff. And that's sort of what I've always done. I There's a couple of people on Instagram who I've become almost really lifelong friends with, who I've reached out to and said, I just like what you're doing. Let me know, you know, let me share what you're working on or whatever. And, you know, even just recently, there's a guy, an Aboriginal guy who's doing really great stuff with the Aboriginal community out in Outback Australia with fitness and he's a legend and he's just got beautiful phraseology and I've shared a couple of these things and it's, you know, people have loved it and then I've reached out to him and said, right, have you ever done media, you know, I'm happy to do a Zoom call and work with you and actually get you out there because you've got Mm. a message that needs to be shared. So I'm not doing anything that's new. This is my area. I've worked in media all my life. I can help him. And he's just a young guy who's 30. I'll give you the name, by the way. It's Black Fit Fitness. Um, Sorry, what did you say again? And he's just Black Fit Fitness. Oh, okay, cool. His name's Josh. And, yeah, super the philosophy that he uses to engage us all in the message of where indigenous people are at is just stunning um and i read it and my heart just expands and i'm like i want to help this guy so it, it doesn't have to be any bigger than that and most of my business concepts most of my stuff has come from just going to where there's some charm and you know it doesn't have you don't have to have a whiteboard with a a, you know three-year plan you really don't. You no. just start where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Already, you're seeing mass uh, redundancies uh, being had, being made around the country uh, and around the world. Mm. I talked to guys in London and New York, and they've downsized massively. Um, the people that have been, you know, had the downsizing done to them, um, are naturally in a terrible state because they're probably unemployed. They're probably not going to find a job in this time, at this moment in time. Um, how do they navigate that? What should they yeah. be doing? Because their creativity is still there to be used, to be utilised, but because they, they, they need to connect well, with opportunities. Yeah. Um, look, I can't pretend to know what it's necessarily like to be laid off, but I have spent time in the wilderness um, unable to work and because of illness. 
Um, and so I sort of do understand this notion, is, and especially at the moment because we're isolated, so it's a double whammy, although I think there is a gift in that. Um, part of the thing about being laid off is that makes it difficult is the shame, especially if you've defined yourself by your skill set and your work. At the moment, we are all in our homes tucked away where it's not a really big shame thing. We're all, you know, so I think the first thing is actually to go, this happened, this has happened throughout history, and this is actually going to be a good time to regroup, refocus. Mm. And I actually think the notion of starting small and being of service where you can, mm. like I said, action begets action. Yep. I know that when I when I left, I was the editor of Cosmopolitan, and I left and I had to redefine myself after I got very sick. And I went out into the wilderness, became very invisible after, you know, having my mug in the, the, the social pages week after week, all of that kind of thing. So my mm. ego had to kind of go through a bit of stuff. Mm. But um, what I – and I was trying to dream up all these big things that I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing is going living in an army shed in the forest outside Byron Bay because I'd lost all my money and been sort of 12 months without work. And I just started small. I wrote a column and it built into, you know, the one, one week the column was I Quit Sugar and then that just turned, you know, Twitter was invented. So I started tweeting a few images from my little army shed and then I started uh, writing recipes and I played around with things and I didn't know where it was going to head. And I, look, I was a hot mess, by the way. It's not like I knew what I was doing. I felt great about it. I was, I, I speak from hindsight, but... I, I couldn't achieve anything grand and big because there was too much uncertainty and that's actually a really good thing to bear in mind is, hey, even if you thought you knew exactly what you're going to do at the other side of this with your new career and, you've, you know, you're starting to whiteboard it and get really organised, we don't know what the planet's going to look like. So in some ways, give yourself a break and just kind of use this as a practice to kind of swirl around in the unknown mm-hmm experiment with a few things, try a few small things and see if it takes off. And so that's what I did. And it was a time of uncertainty because social media was just starting. No one knew what to do. Media was suffering. I knew I couldn't go back to media because it was all dying and all the rivers of gold were drying up. And so I just started playing in this realm, you know, and it grew into I taught myself how to write an e-book. It turned into an e-book, my God, if anyone, any of you saw my design work back then, <laughs> but it was organic, the world, it was all new. So no one expected anything great, but it ended up becoming an Amazon bestseller. And then I went, the publishers printed it as a print book and it got a fairly much better design. Um, and so it grew in this weird direction. Like back then, nobody went from ebooks to print book, you know, you sort of, it just hadn't been done yet. Yeah. Um, so there were no rules and it was a new area and I ended up benefiting from it greatly because I was in there in the fray, mucking around, not knowing what I was doing in the early days. Mm. And that's where we're going to be for at least a year, mm-hmm. if not much longer. We are not going to know what the world's going to look like. We are not going to know where the opportunities, where things are going to take off. Even as we're sitting here, trends are coming and going. Zoom was huge. Now I'm seeing stuff from, you know, sort of overseas press where they've had to sort of do Zoom parties for a while. They're all over Zoom. They're like sick of it. Zoom's (laughs) now passe. Like we can't do Zoom cocktail parties anymore. It's just like we're over it. So 
I think there's just going to be lots of experimenting, lots of stuff that goes wrong. Mm. We'll fail, we'll pick things up again, but get into the fray. And so if you are out of work and you're wondering what to do, just enter the messy fray and just have a look around. Nobody's going to care if you fail. Play around a bit, be a bit brave and reach out. We're all at home feeling vulnerable. Um, find out how you can be of service. Do something crazy like I did with Black Fit Fitness. Yeah. But I've also done it with um, sort of celebrities, like people who can offer me more than I can offer them, if you know what I mean, in terms yeah. of that opportunism. And people have gone, oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, I'd like to help you. So it is actually a really great time for creatives who are brave enough to go outside of that whiteboard briefed scenario. Yeah, and I think the important thing is to remember that you are good enough, you know, because I think people might take it personally, the fact that um, oh, yeah. well, what's going on and um, that they no longer have a role. But they no longer have a role, employment role, but they have a bigger role in this world um, as it happens as well. Oh, the, there's so much scope. Yeah. yeah. Let's just talk about. I'm int- intrigued by how you take off and go to the country. You go bush, or you, you know, you took off for a year. Or and I, and I've seen you on Instagram. You, you go for long walks in the in the in the national parks and stuff. What what's what drives you to that? Because that's actually quite uh, cool. I think it's cool that you do that. Mm. Yeah. Um. I have found that getting into nature is the best way for me to get creative. So my next book, and I can give you the title because I just had a meeting with my publisher and she said I can now uh, reveal it. It comes out in Australia now. It'll come out in uh, end of August, early September in the States in October. It's called This One Wild Precious Life. And I explore the coming back to what matters in life because we're kind of wandering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You added wild. I I just walk around until it feels right. (laughs) Never know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so this one wild, precious life. And I hike around the world um, exploring different ways in the footsteps of different philosophers, et cetera, on how to reconnect with what matters, i.e. life and the planet and nature. So I looked into quite a lot of studies that show the connection between I've always known that when I'm not great, I just go and I pack up my tent and my sleeping bag and I just hike into the bush and I go and sleep in dirt for a few days and then I return. And I'm creative, I'm balanced, I'm ready to go. And that's just always been myself. It's weird as a 46-year-old woman, you know, <laughs> it's not usually what's done. Um but that's what's worked for me. So yeah, walking, you talked about reflective thought. Walking is one of the few activities that goes at the same pace as reflective thinking. Um, and same with handwriting. Now, so few of us walk as a regular thing and so few of us handwrite. And I think now is a really great time to embrace those two things mm. because um, we need reflective thought. So hiking is a really great, and it's one of the few things, at least in Australia, that we can do at the moment uh, we can't camp in the national parks, but we can still hike. Um, so that's my thinking. And I also I also have to go to my edge. I have to go to a bit of a scary edge to feel alive and to feel like I am I am living the life I need to be living to be of service. So um, you know, I I've always done quite physically, I used to do downhill mountain bike bike racing um I hitchhiked around Europe for a year when I was 18 on my own 
I still hitchhike at my age um, because I don't own a car and if I get a bit stuck sometimes, <laughs> I'll hitchhike. Um, and I, you know, I took up ocean swimming. I'm a really bad swimmer, but I took up ocean swimming because I, it was time to try something that took me to my edge again. So for, it's not for everyone, but for me, I need to have that to access Oh, I've got another word for it other than my edge. It's at my edge that I breathe freely and I feel expansive and I can I can I can tap into what 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 matters, I suppose. Amazing. Being stuck in a, a a rut and a routine is is destroys me. Um so I just shake things up every now and then and it's look, you know, hiking's pretty tame once you get to know the systems and everything, but um I've never done a hike that I haven't loved, never. People say, oh, you know, what's your favourite hike? And I'm like, I'm like, all of them. I've never had a bad hike in my life. I can guarantee no matter what happens on a hike, you'll come back feeling better. Mm. Um, yeah. And does this, this whole situation make you feel right now about you wanting to take off somewhere? Yes, <laughs> especially because I live in a corona hotspot surrounded by backpackers um i'm in a petri dish um and that stuff doesn't really <laughs> worry me it's more that it's more the tension yeah. there's a there's actually some friction building and i don't like it so between you and i um and everyone else who's listening um <laughs> i'm i'm about to hire a hire a car and i'm heading up bush I'm heading up sort of north yeah. i don't think i'm a big risk i'm not like a grey nomad about to go and invade um small town supermarkets i'm just going to go and quietly um hang out somewhere and do some creative stuff in the bush i might as i live on my own vince and i think i imagine there'd be quite a few people listening who live on their own because creatives somehow we end up that way um and uh you know if, if i'm going to be on my own i might as well use it as something of a retreat um and the other thing is I've just got two big buff heads who've moved downstairs. They're about 90 to 100 kilos each and um, they have no regard for sort of, um, let's say, just even tiptoeing or closing doors quietly. Oh, and no. that, because I'm so highly sensitive, mm. it's, um, it's, sending me, it's sending me over. Um, so I'm having to put on my smart head and not descend yeah. uh, into my anxiety. I'm having to do what is required to look after myself at the moment. And that's what I would say to everybody who's got creative sensitivity. You, you should know by now what triggers you. And, um, you know, if you're an adult listening to this and actually do what it takes, do what it takes to look after yourself. Um, and it's simple things like getting out and exercising every day, um, doing meditation. If meditation's your practice, do it like a mofo. Like, you know, do it twice a day, three times a day. Just do it. Like get vigilant. It's a job mm. right now. Yeah. You've got to look after yourself. Yep. Um, and that's how I'm treating it. And it actually becomes an easier thing to do when you see it as a duty, a responsibility, because we are going to need the creatives. We are going to need the sensitive people. Um, my brother wrote me a, a message and he just said, I know that you, you know, he said you are loved and you need to take care of yourself because when things get really bad, we're all going to need you. Oh, um, nice. Which was very considerate and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's a beautiful man. Um it's interesting for a lot of people just beginning to work from home. 
I mean, some people have always worked from home, uh, but majority of people, like my whole mm. team, are all working from home. And some of them love it and think they think it's the best thing ever, or certainly the first week it was, and then the second week they're feeling less excited about it. And the third, mm-hmm. third week they all want to come back to the studio, which we're obviously not allowed to do. But what I've found is that, um, I mean, I'm used to working kind of, you know, every day, seven days a week, kind of, it's not work for me, it's something I'm passionate about. So I'm just kind of, mm. if I'm in a hotel or walking or in my house or in the studio or in a flight, whatever it might be, um, I'm kind of on. And um, what I've found though, just by being home for the last two and a half weeks is that it's very hard to differentiate the weekend now uh, from the week um, because it's just, it's another mm. day. It's, you know, there's no, uh, you're not necessarily going out a huge amount to, you know, socializing and other things you might be doing on the weekend. And um, yeah, it's just every day is becoming quite similar to each other. So how would you recommend people? And you, yes. you've worked at home a lot, um, I guess, or you've been doing Yeah, I've worked at home thing. since, yeah, I've worked at home for probably the last 12 years, mm-hmm. um, one way or another, even when I had a business, um, you know, I, I would work from home to do a stuff and I'd go in and then do stuff stuff um so I, I quit sugar um but look there's a couple of things I'd say to that I did do a I think my Instagram my first Instagram live talks a little bit like that oh no the second Instagram live that's up on my feed um talks about this it talks about navigating uncertainty and especially now that we're all working from home so one of the things that um really works is creating certainty anchors so indecision actually triggers anxiety because it's all controlled in the same part of the brain the prefrontal cortex so if you can limit the number of decisions you can make and that's why routine works for so many people they get up they make their kids lunch they get in the car they go to work they arrive at the same time bam you know Mm -hmm. they've got a whip at whatever time um and that actually creates certainty anchors so that they don't have to spend that part of use that part of the brain for decisions too many small decisions you know deciding whether you're going to marry someone or not versus deciding whether you're going to get mint or um spearmint toothpaste (laughs) sometimes in our brain we don't know the difference um it's all the same kind of way so limit the amount of small stuff so to that effect what i would say and i said this in the live Thing that I did is um, it's really important to kind of have as much routine as possible and almost emulate what you used to have in the past. Mm-hmm. So it would be wake up at the same time. Don't treat it like every day is a Sunday, and especially if you've got kids, because the kids need to kids need more need routine more than anyone. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, it will help you manage their anxiety. So mm-hmm. wake up at the same time. Even make their lunches the night before, like. Do the stuff that reminds them of the old way and stick to it and don't have lunch at 3 o'clock and then dinner at 5 and then you sort of meander. Like stick to mealtimes, stick Mm -hmm. to all of those old routines. Um, And um, if you've got to adjust it, adjust it and then try to stick to it. So if you can – and look, there's some great ways. People now, instead of travelling half an hour to work, can use that time exercising. Mm. So there's some great stuff you can throw in there. But, yeah, routine eyes and the morning routine thing, which I'm sure many of you have heard about, like lots of, you know, life hackers love to share it, um, it actually has lots of science behind it based around that sort of brain chemistry about making decisions. So Barack Obama had two suits for the duration of his presidency. Mm-hmm. It was a grey one and a blue one, you know, and it's um, Mark Zuckerberg, 
Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, you'll notice that they've always worn the one outfit, jeans generally, a white T-shirt and Jerry Seinfeld sneakers, you know, and they've stuck to that. (laughs) Like I think Mark Zuckerberg has literally seven white T-shirts, seven black T-shirts, and they're all lined up and that's just what he wears. And and they also eat boring breakfasts. There's none of this, oh, I might have, you know, avocado and toast this morning and something else the next day. They have the same breakfast every day. And I interviewed a lot of these people when I was writing that column I mentioned. So I spoke to a lot of the life hackers, Tim Ferriss, all these guys, um, and that's what they had in common. They routinized their mornings in particular as much as possible so that they didn't have that horrible, angsty anxiety later in the day and they could make more important decisions. So that's really important. Routine, routine, routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, just set it up, just, you know. And sleep as well. I mean, sleep is obviously, you, you've had issues in the past. I definitely have yeah. issues with my sleeping. Um, uh, that's that's so important. How do you navigate that? How do you kind of overcome that? Because, I mean, obviously, an- anxiousness creates uh, fear. And, um, you know, especially yeah. bom- being bombarded by all this information all the time right now, it's like, oh, my God, the world's about to end. Um you know, it's the last thing you want to do is go to sleep. Well, we know all the hacks, right? We could all sit up watching Netflix until midnight every night and go, oh, well, I don't have to go to the office tomorrow. Like, no. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> going to set you up for trouble. Mm. Um, so I would say really, really start to, um, you know, it's a really good time to put all those things we've heard about in place. I mean, I think one of the things at the moment, there's a bit of a honeymoon phase where the jolt of change is actually very refreshing for some of us. There's a bit of a novelty, you know, like you were saying, you know, like at the moment it kind of people are kind of loving it. Mm-hmm. But while it's a novelty, start to get some stuff in place that are firm guardrails on your sanity and going doing the sensible stuff that'll get you to sleep and one of the big things is definitely try to not work from your bedroom which is a bit hard if you're living in a group house or whatever but um keep your bedroom sort of sanctified for sleep Mm -hmm. because i know from working from home when i've had to work in my bedroom i associate it with stress and sort of you know high octane activity um Keep your bedroom clean in that sense. Close the door when you get up and that's the end of it. You don't go in there until bedtime. Um, But also watch what you're consuming at night. Um, I am – I'm watching Curb Your Enthusiasm (laughs) (laughs) and um, and just, you know, like I'm actively hunting out, hunting down the mindless stuff. You know, mm. um, I'm absorbing a lot of the news during the day and then I'm just doing, and then I'm doing, you know, sort of Zoom stuff with my family and my nieces and nephews and and um, just, yeah, again, get those structures, those certainty anchors in place. And I'm actually, I'm diarising like a mofo, like I'm going through and I'm setting up chats for about the next two weeks with people around the world, mm-hmm. just have a nice chat at night, you know. Um, And a lot of people are doing that. But, again, certainty anchors, get them in place, look forward to them. And I said this on my Facebook Live the other night, now's a great time for humanity to stop being so bloody flaky. If someone sets up a Zoom chat with you, show up, don't cancel it. Like that era's got to end. It's Mm. landed us in trouble. The flaky, non-committal kind of thing 
um, that made us really unresilient to yeah. uncertainty. Let's end it now. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if your friend in London sets up a Zoom and they're looking forward to do not cancel because you're in a bit of a bad mood, be in a bad mood and do the Zoom call. Yeah. Um, and I'm loving that at the moment because, um, you know, people are sticking to things and I think that's going to be a wonderful thing for all of us and especially, again, Creatives, we need to have these frameworks in place so that we can then go off and swirl around within the boundaries and create. I think this could be. I mean, I think the thing is to learn how learn to enjoy it, because um, uh, it might be yeah. it might be quite a few months before we come out of this, or this might become the new norm. And one thing I also wanted to talk about yeah. is what I've really noticed is, and you're big on this, but I've just I've noticed that over the last few weeks, my consumption has dropped enormously so by going out to places <laughs> buying things or or clothes or food i mean food for the for, for the home is yes I'm, I'm i'm doing that but you know cooking at home every day uh my daughter's making cookies and, and bread and you know i'm baking some bread yeah. and stuff like that and it's just like wow this is like i just realized how much i've been spending and how much i don't need um, <laughs> and just in the rush of life it's been life has been sp- and so fast and so, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess ill-considered. I'm just, just going to rush, rushing along yes. with what's going on from one thing to the other, bumping into each, you know, each meeting or situation, not prepared. And you've, you've lived your life this way around, or certainly recently mm-hmm. around, you know, reducing, reducing kind of uh, things. Mm. Uh, do you want to talk a bit, a bit about, about that? Yeah, well, I mean... I live off the smell of an oily rag. I, uh, my accountant contacts me sort of a couple of times a year and go, are you sure you spent not a cent for the month of April? <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah, I guess not. I haven't had a car for many, many years. I built a bike 15 years ago and that's what gets me everywhere. Um, I don't buy clothes. I'm still wearing clothes from when I was, 18 and in my 20s um I hand wash or I wash in you know like very gently and not too often a lot of people get the t-shirt off don't have a smell of it just chuck it in the washing basket don't Mm. you basically you know um you you know you're creating a rod for your back so um yeah I've lived this way for a very long time I cook I batch cook my freezer's always full like I am Armageddon prepared Um, (laughs) and and my 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 cookbooks like have always catered to that. So I think my latest one, Simplicious Flow, is was the world's first zero waste cookbook, and it actually shows you how to get fourteen meals out of one chicken. Um, and I use up everything, like even the water that I steam my silver beet in, that becomes stock that I use for blah 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 blah. Amazing. You know, and um, it's yeah, and that's why it's called Flow. So when you live this way, and this has always been my mantra, well, I've got a couple, but the notion of flow is is really a great way to look at it because it sells it in as a really beneficial thing psychologically and also aesthetically. Um, and then um, so when you live minimally, you don't have all of that clutter. And also when you don't rely on fast food, fast fashion, fast fixes for your kind of um, happiness hit, um, what you do turn to is a lot more sustainable and actually works. So nature, et cetera, et cetera, it's always available. It actually sustains you in the right way. So 
I guess there's sort of some of the perks of it all. Um, mm. And it brings you in closer to yourself. So I talk about this in, in my next book, um, about the power of fending. And there's been lots of studies that have shown that people love a bookcase that they've got from Ikea more if they've built it, you know, themselves, albeit with an Allen key and <laughs> slot mechanisms. Yeah. But they actually will love it more than they do a standard one because they've engaged it. They call it the Ikea effect. I don't think that's the best term for it, but you get my point. Yeah. When you've knitted a jumper, you're going to love that jumper more. When you've baked a cake yourself, you're going to respect it. You're also going to see how much sugar you put in the damn thing. So you've got to think about it before you gorge on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more mindfulness. There's a lot more tactile connection, engagement, and we start to make much more considered decisions in all aspects of our our life. And mm. if I was to be honest, my next book, This One Wild Precious Life, is essentially, I hope, a Bible for that. Um, the cooking Bible for that is Simplicious Flow. And um, I think it was also the largest cookbook that came out in the market last year. Um, it's 348 recipes, but all of them reuse every last bit. So not a single bit of food was wasted in the making of the book. Amazing. It becomes a form of gamification. And you just have respect for absolutely everything. You start to look at things differently. And um, it is a real creative process. So that's probably another thing for people to do in this time if they're trying to keep their creative spirit alive is start to think about crazy stuff that you do to say things like, you know, oh, I've got this. How can I use it? Mm. You know, I don't have rubbish. I just do not have rubbish. Every single thing gets used. Um yeah, so... So it's kind of getting going back yeah. to basics, isn't it? How we once lived. Yeah, it's how our grandparents lived. Yeah. And I'll just give you a little factoid here. So um, World War Two is used a lot by the climate movement as just an example of uh, mobilisation. So, you know, the world mobilised in weeks. So it went from a consumer economy to a wartime economy in three weeks and nobody thought it was possible. But when you have a crisis and really good leadership and everyone rallying behind... Um, what we are capable of is incredible. Now, one of the things that happen is um, suicide rates and admissions to hospitals for anxiety dropped to virtually zero during the London Blitz. And it, the sense was that everybody was rallying together and was making use of things, fending, making do, you know, living in kind of bomb shelters that somebody had made in their backyard, all of that kind of thing. And there was a sense of happiness and fulfilment and an arrival that came from that, you know, um, Victor Frankl in Man's Search mm. for Meaning said, actually, no, it was Nietzsche. Nietzsche said, when we have a why, we can handle any how. And so... When we start to go back to some of these principles, we engage, it's, it matters, and then we can handle a whole lot more. Um, but also, it was also during the war that Australia or Western countries that had rations, um, they, experienced, they experienced the healthiest markers ever in history. So, I mean, I've always advocated ration-style eating. Ration, and back then in Australia at least, it was sugar, flour, some meat, and all sort of processed foods. So back then it was just a few biscuits and things like that. Yep. They were rationed. Vegetables and fruit were never rationed. Mm. Dairy was not rationed in Australia. It was a little, it was in, in the UK. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really? This, is, this could be an incredible correction. Everybody learning to cook again. Yeah, yeah. 
and and mend. I mean, mend the things that you have. Yeah. Uh, and mend the earth at the same time. Well, Sarah, yeah. listen, this has been, it's been so cool to catch up with you today. Um, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're an incredible woman. What a powerhouse you are. And uh, all the incredible things that you do uh, for others, uh, as, as much as it is your own personal discovery, the way that you share it with the world is incredible. So I think, thank you for oh, that. Oh, that's very, very generous of you. Um, yeah, thank you. It's nice to, I love these conversations. And, I, you know, especially around creativity, it's my favorite subject. Cool. Well, thank you, Sarah. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, it's been a lot of fun talking to people around the world about the situation that they're in, um, good and bad and stressed out, etc. But also um, talking to these experts like Sarah Wilson and like Penny Lacasso, um, who are just people who are incredibly optimistic and positive and uh, helpful in this moment in time when at times we feel quite down and quite frustrated and um, less optimistic than we usually do. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe. 